Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Onward, a podcast dedicated to highlighting issues trans and non-binary singers face today and how choral directors and musicians can make their rehearsal spaces more equitable for all. Deliver to your ears in a bite-sized little podcast so you can listen to it while you're on the freeway, going on a walk, I don't know. Uh, my name is Sammy, and I'm joined today by my beautiful co-host once again, Stevie Herner. Hey, everyone. All right. Well, we have moving on to our topic today. We're talking about uniforms in choral music and joining us all the way from an undisclosed location on Zoom. uh, We are joined by the incredible Joshua Pauke. Hello. Welcome to the party, Josh. It's good to have you with us. Great to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, Josh, why don't we just start by introducing yourself and all of just the wonderful, incredible things that you do um, to our audiences who are listening. Sure. Thank you for having me. It's a real honor to be here. Uh, my name is Josh Palky. My pronouns are he, him, and I am associate professor of music education at Cal State Long Beach. And I'm also co-author of a book called Honoring Trans and Gender Expansive Students in Music Education, which I co-wrote with my colleague, Matthew Garrett. Woo. Very nice. Very nice. Everyone remember that name. Go check it out. Um, But I wanted to start with a couple questions that we have. Um, So, Josh, uh, for our first question, I just wanted to ask, so what started your commitment in general to the issues of gender inclusivity and more specifically um, choral uniforms, I guess? So uh, it's a great question. So uh, uh, this is the short version of a long story. So when I was starting my doctoral program, I was taking a qualitative research seminar and I needed to do a qualitative study as as a final project for that class. And I had a really hard time finding a topic, especially one that was connected to my own personal experience. And what I ended up doing was uh, a case study of two of my friends that are uh, gay men that are music teachers and looking at their experiences about who they came out to at school and why. And part of what you do when you're doing a research study is you look at the related literature in your field. And as I started reading the research, I found that there was really almost nothing about trans and gender expansive issues at all. There was really like one study at that point. Um, And so I was like, wow, that's a really important topic, especially because that was a time, this was like 2016, 2017. So a lot of the gender conversations in the US were really exploding at that time. And so that led me toward my dissertation topic, which was a case study of three transgender high school students that sang in choir. And so, you know, the uniform thing is something that I'm interested in. And it's become, you know, it's it's part of this whole discourse that I've been involved in since then that I've been very lucky to be involved in yeah absolutely um I'm so happy to have someone who's been kind of like steering the ship I guess or like been forging a path for like this important conversation which I guess might fly over some people's heads as something that might be I don't know like superfluous or just not as important but I I can actually speak to that importance yes absolutely please uh the back in January of 2018, um, Josh and Matthew Garrett did a presentation at the Florida Music Educators Conference, and 
I was at that conference and I went to that session. At the time, um, it was actually the same week that I started HRT. And I wasn't out publicly. I didn't know that I'd ever come out publicly, but I was like, oh my gosh, there's a session on trans inclusion in Florida <laughs> about, about uh, how can we be more sensitive to this issue? And seeing Josh and Matthew's presentation almost five years ago, like completely flipped my expectations of what I could do in the field on its head. Um, from that, I've got like uh, just reassurance that I would be able to be my authentic self. And uh, I went to their session the next year at National ACDA in uh, Kansas City. And then anything and everything that Josh does. And I went to his session with Jay Saplan, um, who's going to be in another episode of this Woo! podcast. Um, <clears throat> I went to a session by them. So like I'm taking up anything and everything. Um, but one thing that really stood out to me, Josh, was in your session, you and Matthew both, you started the session saying, we are cisgender gay men. We are not members of the community, specific community that we're talking about. Um, we are just trying to shed a light on this so that eventually members of that community can kind of take the baton and be the voices that are heard. And it was that statement that kind of gave me the strength and the inspiration to eventually come out and be, uh, I guess, a role model, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> to um, other singers and to other choir directors and to do what I do. So I owe a lot, um, even though Josh and Matthew didn't have any clue who I was until a little over a year ago. Um, I they, they completely influenced my career. So speaking of far reaching, there you go. Sorry, that was that was an unintended like side quest. No, that that's a, that was on, such an incredible but... story. No, and I really appreciate that because you know this whole idea of positionality, is something that I've spent a lot of time thinking, writing, and quite frankly worrying about, and. It, that so I, I believe that things are happening exactly the way that they're meant to right so mm -hmm. Stevie's article just got published in Coral Journal um, which is going to uh, present at National ACDA like this this is you know um, Melanie Stapleton just started the um, PhD program at Northwestern so mm -hmm. like this is exactly the way that things should be happening in my opinion and I couldn't be more thrilled about it yeah and we are honored that you were a part of that journey so thank you <laughs> This is so incredible. Ah, loving it. Um, but moving on to our next question, because I know both both of you have made such great advancements within your own communities and your own choral ensembles about um, issue about just queer issues, trans issues um, that we they, we can better be better allies to those singers. And just speaking towards the topic of uniforms, um, both of you, how did you 
this is a question for both of you, but how did you both seek to enact change within your institutions? I saw Stevie firsthandedly do um, what she did at USC and offer a gender neutral option now that we have, uh, which was so eye opening for me as someone who's grown up in in choir um, to have more than just suit um, tux and dress as options. It's just so incredible. So this question is for both of you. Like, how did what? What were like the challenges? How, how did you seek to enact the change in your institutions? And what changes have you seen in other institutions that you've really admired and looked at? So uh, maybe we can we can start with Stevie, I guess, since I, I just name dropped her. <laughs> when I came to USC uh, in fall of 2020, everything was on Zoom. But this idea of uniforms was still very much hanging over my head. USC had already changed their ensemble names from Apollo Men's Chorus and Oriana Women's Choir to Apollo Chorus and Oriana Choir, which is great. That's awesome. But they still very much had the traditional tuxes and dresses. Um, They had like an official unofficial policy that anyone could either wear a tux or a dress, but those were the only options. And so I brought it up uh, the summer before I started, like, hey, um, what is the conversation about uniforms? And like, how how is that going? And I was pretty much told, listen, everything's on Zoom right now. Like, we don't have the bandwidth for that, which I understood. Um, but as we came to the end of that school year in spring of 21, um, I brought it back up and I was like, if we're going to do anything, now is the time to do it. Now is the time to make the change. And um, I looked at what uh, CSU Long Beach was doing, uh, where Josh teaches and um, Talberg is the director there as well. Um, And looked at what some other universities are doing. Some people go the like neutral tunic route. Um, some do the choose your own adventure, just wear concert black route. Um, and at USC, I initially proposed like a hybrid choose your own adventure. Like rather than saying, Hey, we have these outfits, um, pick one out of these three or one out of these four or whatever. Initially I said, here are the tops to the uniforms. And it was, here's a masculine button down, a feminine blouse, here's a blazer or whatever. And it was pick a top and then pick a bottom, whether it's pants, a skirt, or if you want, you can wear the full dress. But that way you have a select menu of similar aesthetics when it comes to the choral attire so that you still have some sense of uniformity. Uh, because I knew that uniformity was important to USC, uh, or the, the the department at USC. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> um, and then, so last year, uh, we engaged with a, an organization called Sharp Suiting, um, who specializes in uh, creating gender-neutral suits and outfits for gender expansive individuals. Um, And they said just on a production level, doing like the menu option wasn't realistic. And the department was already kind of leaning toward a select outfit option. But I proposed the issue that these gender neutral 
options are always just masculine. It's always just, here's black pants and a black button down. That's your gender neutral option. Like, yeah, everyone can wear black pants and a black button down, but not everyone's comfortable in a button down shirt or in a dress or in a tux. So like, where is our middle of the road? Like for something that skews a little bit more feminine. So we ended up landing on four options. One was your traditional masculine cut suit. <clears throat> then uh, the second option was uh, from the waist up was the masculine cut suit. So it had the button down shirt, tie, vest, blazer. And then from the waist down, it was a feminine cut pant. And if I remember correctly, Sammy, that's the... Uh, outfit that you chose last year. Um, I did. I did pick... at me. I was going <laughs> to say, you're looking at me blankly. I was like, I know for a fact because I remember because yes, I, I processed all of those orders. <laughs> yes, I did. I was, I think I was the, one of the only few people who picked a masculine. No, actually. Oh, I wasn't. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Uh, Anne did it as well. There were several individuals who chose option two. Option two was the second, other than address, was the yeah. second like of the two neutral options, yeah, the option two that you had was the most popular. Yeah, wow, um, I didn't know that. So you were not alone. I wasn't, and alone. that's the whole point, though, is that like, yeah, you might not have known that there were other people in that outfit, but there were other people that were comfortable in the feminine cut pant and the masculine from the waist up, mm -hmm. and so like that's what we're trying to accomplish, right? Yes. And then the third option. The other more feminine skewing one was a feminine cut suit, top and bottom, with like a neutral blouse um, instead of a button down. And then we had the traditional dresses as well. Um, unfortunately, because of production costs, uh, the relationship that we built with Sharp Suiting, um, they just were not pr able to produce on like a mass enough scale to get the price down where our singers need it uh, for it to be accessible, unfortunately. And none of the big like uniform suiting companies are doing anything toward this like consciously and providing realistic options. Um, so we actually opted to throw everything out with the bathwater uh, <laughs> this past summer and we went complete concert black wear whatever you want within these particular parameters, like sleeve length, uh, bottom length, whatever. Um, and so now we're landed on just Concert Black Choose Your Own Adventure, which is kind of cool because uh, that's the truest expression of wear your own concert attire. Because ultimately, to me, it comes down to the music. It, it's, not about, um, it's not about how you look. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, that's important to some traditionalists, but... Yeah. If you sing well and you connect with your audience and you feel good while you're doing it, that's what matters. No, yeah, absolutely. It seems that a lot of choirs in the country are leaning more towards just the concert black, express yourself how you want to express and just meet yeah. X, Y, and Z requirements. Like I saw Ellie Yeah, Master and that's like Yeah. And and that's and that's more modern anyway. Like yeah. you look at professional choral ensembles, they're not all wearing tuxes and dresses. No, yeah. Professional choral ensembles are wearing like jeans and a matching color scheme, but all different uh pieces of clothing. Or they're just doing concert black and they all look sharp as fuck. Like, mm -hmm. sorry, I don't know if I can say that on the podcast. 
but like they, they look really it. good. They, <laughs> thank you. Um, they, they, they look good. And like, yeah. anyway, I'm really curious to hear what Josh has to say because no, I yes, know absolutely. that his, his, his journey at CSU Long Beach and in the research that he did inspired a lot of other institutions to start moving down this road of gender neutral uniforms along with his presentations with Matthew and everything like that. So I'd really love to hear from Josh a little bit because I've talked a lot now. <laughs> that's No, that's all really interesting. So, you know, look, people use the adage sometimes that there are certain issues in politics that are like the third rail of politics, you know, like, like touch it and you die, right? I had no idea going into this research that uniforms were like the third rail of, of choral music. Really? I mean, people feel so strongly about it. Oh my gosh. If I had $5 for every conversation I've had about uniforms, I'd be a very wealthy person. I mean, it's really shocking. Actually. <laughs> so, um, I, when, so I'm actually currently not leading an, a, a choral ensemble at Long Beach. I was previously and I will again next year. But um, I did uh, an experiment and did exactly what Stevie had mentioned with separates. So mm-hmm. I worked with, I just chose pieces from Macy's and uh, JCPenney to keep it affordable for the students. And it was the same thing. It was three different cuts of top and three, like two cuts of pants and a skirt. And it was mix and match, choose your own adventure. Um, it did not go over well. Uh, it was quite dramatic, actually. People didn't love it. So then we went to a similar scenario to also what what y'all have done at USC, which was a, we did a third option, but it was a feminine cut suit, so it was still quite masculine. And so it was... It was a compromise let's put it that way yeah uh, other models i've seen uh so the the ensemble that uh, sandra snow leads at michigan state which used to be called women's chamber ensemble which is now called mosaic hmm, they I love that name. do I didn't know they changed it yeah it's great it's isn't it yeah. yeah and so they do concert black with a pop of color in a gem tone and so that gives the singer a bit of individuality Another option that I think is really interesting, maybe uh, not the most uh, feasible for a large ensemble. Uh, when I was teaching high school in the Bay Area, the jazz choirs at the high school where I taught, I didn't teach them. <laughs> they would, e- each of the, the jazz ensembles would choose a, f- a fabric and then each singer would have to incorporate that fabric into the outfit somehow. So oh. I thought that was really interesting because you would see vastly different uniforms, but you still saw the continuity of that fabric. And that's it really, really cool. gave you an idea of who the singer was, right? And that's one of the reasons I, I, I love Concert Black. It's like, I mean, to be snarky for a minute, and I say this in presentations <laughs> too, like if you can show me a, a choir dress that is not ugly and flatters every body yes. type, I will give you a million dollars because I've never, ever seen one. Very that. 100%. And I, I, yeah, I have a lot of really strong feelings about this. Actually, <laughs> I have this, um, I just had to write a, a proposal to get some um, uh, assigned time next year where I would get some time off from teaching to to do some writing. And a little uh, I have... A moment. 
not a sabbatical, but but like basically teaching one less class. Ah, okay, gotcha. Um, and so I have this this article rattling around in my mind that uh, the working title I have is "The Insidious Tyranny of Concert Attire," mm, and I love so. That. Uh, I have, I have, because I, I want to also look into the history of like why we did this, like yeah. why have we gotten yeah, to this absolutely. point? That's awesome. I love that idea with like the fabric that moves through the each uniform in a different way. Because like that was something that we talked about. Like, well, what if we like get sashes so that we all have the same pop of color? And I'm like, the scarves and sashes are terrible. Like. Mm-hmm. No, no, thank you. Um, but that idea of like everyone gets to style this fabric in their own way within their uniform, that is so cool. I love that. Yeah. Especially if it's especially if it was in a high school ensemble, it really allowed to the high schoolers yeah. to like express themselves like, creatively. Head, head wraps and like wrist wraps mm-hmm. and like wearing it as a belt or yeah. like tying it around a dress, like ugh. I can picture so many things that kids would do with that that would be so inventive and exciting that these boring old fogey choir directors <laughs> would never think of. But fogey, anywho, I love that word. Um, fogey. <laughs> <laughs> What's our next question, Sammy? No worries. <laughs> um, I think I want. I think I wanted to bring up uh, one thing that both of you talked about, which is making sure that choir uh, uniforms are accessible and affordable for a lot of people. Um, because especially for me, it was such a, uh, it's always been something I was so nervous to tell my parents about, of, about like choir costs and ensuring that I, I, cause I need to look good on stage. I need to match with everyone else. And the bill would come back like one fifty, two hundred dollars $200, which for some may be nothing, but for a lot of people, it might be an investment and like, and something that they can't do that month. So like how, how can choir directors make what options do choral directors have to make their uniforms more affordable in general for their students? Yeah. Josh, do you want to kick this one off? So just for fun right now, I Googled gender neutral concert attire and it looks like some of the big companies are kind of starting to dip their toe into this. Um, There's one that has, an option here that's not too horrible, I think, and is affordable. So, you know, I think is it, maybe... Is it like a full conceived outfit already or what? I'm going to you... put the link in the chat and you can, yeah. oh, perfect. You can look at this. But, but I, you know, I think that, I think that a, enough people have to voice to these big companies that this is something that they want that it, they find it profitable, right? Because, uh, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, y'all had that, that issue, like you, you identified a company that was doing this cool thing, yep. but it ended up being cost prohibitive. So, right. yeah, this yeah. is, um, I actually kind of like the, it's like a, for those who are listening, it's like a, it's a button down shirt, but the placard for the buttons um, they're hit the hidden there. The buttons are hidden. Mm-hmm. And then there's like an empire collar as a neutral shirt option. And they have both a masculine and feminine cut. And then there's also like a long sleeve tunic. So like you have a tunic option that isn't appropriative because I've definitely seen those where you get a choir on a stage and 
they're wearing these tunics that are very pretty, but like they're not honoring like the culture that that aesthetic comes from. Um, so I think this is actually really nice. Um, I, I forget who I was talking to that had mentioned uh, that they had spoken with some of these larger distributors. And when they asked, like, why aren't you guys providing any gender neutral options? They just said, if people express interest in it and there's enough people expressing interest in it, then uh, then it be, we can get production high enough where the cost goes down. Um, and that, that was the issue with the company that we were with. They just didn't have the reach to get interest from enough people to drive costs down. But this is really interesting. I didn't know this, this has to be new in the last like month or two because uh, I looked in July, August of this year and there was nothing like this. Yeah, absolutely. This is actually really, really intriguing. So. so I think we're moving on to one of our last questions that I will, I will ask both of you. Um, so do we... Like just moving forward, um, we have we have people are starting to express interest in these options, and we see this like industry, this like change in the industry to a more concert black, um, a creative way of new of your core uniforms. And I wanted to ask both of you, do we do we think that the choral profession in general in general will ever move away from the traditional? And embrace this new, embrace this new, I guess, movement. I'll call it of being more gender inclusive, uniform-wise, in your choral ensembles. So, I, I'll jump in here. So, I I think it's really interesting that you use the word traditional, and so th- that implies that there's some tradition, right? Mm-hmm. And we have so many of these in choral music. We have so many traditions. You know, when I was first going to ACDA conferences in the the 2000s, you know, I, I don't know, a, a very high percentage, probably 80% or more of choirs were closing their set at ACDA with a Moses Hogan spiritual. Yes. It was like yes. so cliche. It was like, this is just what you do, right? And you then people the started questioning you that. The, you had the Whitaker, you had the Baroque, and then you had closed with a spiritual. <laughs> right. And you had some crazy piece that's in manuscript that no yes. one can understand that no right. one's ever going to do again. Exactly. Uh, and eventually someone questioned that and said, why are we doing this? And is this the most, is this the most respectful way that we can approach spirituals, which come from a really, really problematic part of American history? Yes. So, and you see that that has changed kind of slowly over time, not everywhere and not with everyone, but I think in general, we've seen that change, right? So it took people going like, oh my gosh, we're doing this thing. Why are we doing this thing, right? And I just don't feel like broadly we've had that moment yet in in the choral profession with regard to uniforms. Mm. I just feel like there's so many other things and, you know, I, I mean, you know, and, and partially I understand, you know, a lot of programs are trying to figure out just how to keep going after COVID and all of that. And I like, I honor that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I just feel like, we really need to have this moment of, of, of saying, why are we doing this thing? Why is this our tradition? Where does it come from? And is it the most inclusive thing? And if not, why are we still clinging to it? Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there, especially like, like I think the pivot coming out of the pandemic is definitely a solid argument for like, we only have the bandwidth for so much right now, or we just need to get humans in our classrooms, let alone like, thinking about revamping our uniforms but yeah to play devil's advocate like what better time 
to revamp your uniform than when you have a flock of people coming in who have never owned a uniform. <laughs> like, um, there's not a better time to reset. That's why we reset when we did at USC, and just unfortunately it didn't work out. Um, seeing this link from you, Josh, uh, f- about the gender neutral from one of the larger distributors is actually really encouraging um, because the the options are more broad than just, hey, here's a button down and some pants. And like... They actually look pretty decent, um, and I, I, w- I was not expecting to like them when you, uh, when you said there's 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 gender neutral options. I wasn't expecting to like them. Anyway, yeah, I'm getting off track, but especially at a time when you see trans rights being legislated away across the country, and. Every other day, I'm seeing another post about, oh, this this state has now done this. This state is doing that. And like, oh, if you even say anything about being trans in a classroom, you're going to get fired. And like, <clears throat> it's just, there is no, like, I feel like if we, the ones who want to enact this change, if there aren't enough of us making noise and making other people uncomfortable to the point of action, then slowly these legislations are just going to keep passing and passing and passing. And then before you know it, we'll be back in 1955 and it'll be terrible for everyone except the straight cis white people. And, and like, I'm not here for that. And, um, it scares me. Yeah. Like I lived in Florida three years ago and to look at what Florida is doing regarding trans rights, I wouldn't just feel invalidated. I would feel afraid for my life, afraid for my job. Like, no, thank you. I guess I could have reflipped. I could have flipped that priority afraid for my job, afraid for my life. One of those is more grave than the other. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, it's real. I mean, and this is the problem. Well, this is, well, this is one of the many issues when LGBTQ people get held up as a, a punching bag in the culture war, right? Yeah. Because it's not about, it no longer is, it, it's just, it's a, it's a fear tactic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I had a very interesting experience. In, in September, I went to do some presentations for the Alabama Vocal Association Fall Conference. And I did the, you know, I did the session where I highlighted research from the book and all of that. Mm-hmm. And there was a teacher that uh, raised his hand and said, do you realize that right now, as we speak in the state of Alabama, there's a, a state law that says if a teacher finds out that a student is queer, that they're mandated by state law to call the parents and out them. Yep. And there's no, there's, there's, there's no penalty, right? Um, but so, so that tells you that it's only about making people afraid and driving people farther and farther apart, yeah. right? And so um, I don't know how I got on that tangent, but um, it's, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a worthy it's, tangent. I think so yeah. that... This idea of us against them versus like we are in this together. 
you yeah. know, like this right. polarization is just very unfortunate. But um, circling back to gender inclusive uniforms, haha, <laughs> uh, we nice can enact way. change in whatever, <laughs> yeah, right, in whatever ways that we can. And this is one of the ways that is, in the grand scheme of things, extremely simple mm-hmm. to do. Yes. Like, you don't even have to deconstruct your verbiage to provide gender neutral options for people. So, absolutely. Right. Right. But, and just this may seem obvious to people, but a lot of people think that if you in your choir syllabus had, if you used to have men wear this, women wear this, mm-hmm. and you just changed men and women to option one, op- and option two, that is not gender neutral. And that is, that is right. Less inc- that is, uh, that is, a tiny step in the right direction, but that yeah. is not it's the like end of the journey. It's like a glance in the right direction and just keep on plodding along. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and stuff yeah. like this is especially important now because of everything that both of you mentioned of this just horribly terrifying legislation that's happening right now, especially targeted towards trans and queer youth who are yeah. still just trying to figure who are just still trying to figure themselves out at the end of the day and their right. their livelihood is being contested and as legislation whether it's worthy of them to even live like the way they want to so it's, even though this may seem like a small topic um true truly especially in choral rehearsals where like especially for me personally as a young queer person trying to figure themselves out choir was always my safe space and it was always the place that I went to if I was ever having a bad day or I just needed some time to regroup and figure stuff out. So offering, ensuring, so this is just one of the small steps that we can take to ensure that, you know, small queer children out there know that this is a queer space, that that is a, is a safe queer space for them. 100%. Yes. And I think it's really important that this, I think this conversation needs to happen, especially in schools, in, mm, yes. in high schools and yeah. even middle schools, especially because if, it, if a student is not 18, they are still really con- can be controlled by what the parents think rather than what they think. Right? right. So, for example, several years back before the pandemic, I was doing one of the regional honor choirs here in California. Yes. I, I was I was doing the, the the TTBB ensemble, and there was a trans guy in the choir who sang who sang tenor, and um, his parents were not supportive, and so his parents forced him to wear a dress in the concert, right? So uh, because the, they had to wear whatever their school u- choral uniform was, right? So if if the the high school uniform is inclusive, or even better, if it's concert black then we're not forcing students into that that decision and we're not maybe putting students in the middle of of a teacher choral teacher trying to be inclusive and their parents who may not be right yeah yeah because in collegiate and community ensembles you know a a vast majority if not everyone is over 18 right Right. so you're an adult you can make whatever choice you want yeah yeah we have to be the advocates for our students for sure that's Unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today's episode. Yes, this was an um, incredible conversation. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Josh, for being on the podcast. I think, yes, of course, it's my Palky. pleasure. I think, yeah. I think you're the first guest. You're the first guest on the podcast. So. Oh my gosh, I'm honored. <laughs> yes. When Sammy told me about this project, I was like, we got to get Josh. We got to get this person. We got to yes. get this person. And I was like, I got you. I'm just like, racking oh, up the I names. connect to you. <laughs> yes, so. absolutely. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Josh. 
My uh, pleasure. Thank you, thank yeah. you, thank you so much. And I hope you join us on our next episode. Signing off, this is Sammy and Stevie. Bye, everyone. Bye.